Hi. Hi. Hey, I am so sorry. I, uh, I have set up my Zoom meeting so that it would keep people in a waiting room, but it doesn't seem to be working. So uh, no, no worries. Thank you for, for your patience. Um, let me pull up your, um, remind me the name of the book that we're talking about today. Uh, the Customer of the Future. Great. Hang on. Let me just pull that up. But like the way that I do my interviews is uh, very, very conversational. I have no pre-structured uh, questions for you. What I do is I interview from the table of contents of your book. So I, I walk our listeners through, you know, uh, through my dialogue with you, really what's included in your book. So, you know, I will frame my question about, you know, tell me about the customer experience mindset, right? That, that's how I would take your first chapter uh, and weave that into conversation. Uh, we'll start out by uh, you actually introducing yourself. Um, I don't like reading bios. Uh, you know, I don't think that that's a, a great way to do it. Um, and then uh, do you have just 30 minutes? Is that uh, what you'd like to do? Yeah, that sounds good. Do you have a hard stop at 1230? No, I don't. Okay. Because if, if we're like right in the middle of talking about ethics and data privacy and, and there's more to say, uh, if you did have to stop right at 1230, I would. But uh, I, do, you know. I do have a commitment at 1240, though. So okay. Well, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, I used to do my radio shows on Blog Talk Radio, and if you didn't end right at 1230, oh. <laughs> right, which oh, was no. bad, which is why I switched to recording on Zoom. Um, anyway, we will not be doing video, um, but uh, so I'm going to turn mine off so that we have the best sound quality. Actually, here, I'm going to put on my headset as well. And then when we get to the end, I'd like for, I will prompt you of, uh, you know, tell us how people can best follow you. Um, uh, like, to, what do you do as your day job? Um, I mean, is this make money? I mean, because I know being an author is a, a nice adjunct to that, but most people don't make their money from being an author. Most of my money is from speaking. Okay. And so what are you doing in this interim that speaking is difficult to you doing digital events? Yeah, I'm actually really busy with webinar speeches right now. And I'm okay. launching a course uh, based on my book. So it's Oh, cool. Okay. My, I have a podcast too that is sponsored. So that's all. Okay. Stuff. Well, I'd like you to think about like the one place where you want to drive people to, because when you list three or four different ways, um, you kind of lose people. So a lot of people listen to this when they're driving or, you know, and, and so they, they don't have a pen to write everything down. So give them the one place that they can reach you. Mm -hmm. And then when I finish producing the show, I will give you both the embed code that can go on any one of your sites or platforms or blogs. 
And then I will also uh, share the link with you. Uh, the show is distributed uh, out over many, many different platforms, including iHeartRadio, et cetera. Um, so if people search for you, they will find my show. I don't do a lot of promotion of my show because this is all about you. It's not all about me. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. All right. Any questions before we get started? No. All right, cool. Hang on just one second and let me get another screen up in front of me. All right. And let's get started. Welcome back to the Game Changer. We are going to be talking about customer marketing and sales today is the general topic of the discussion. And we have as our guest today, Blake Morgan, and she is the author of a book called The Customer of the Future, 10 Guiding Principles for Winning Tomorrow's Business. Blake, welcome. Hi, good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it is great to have you. And, and, uh, I am so excited about this topic because the customers and the ways that we reach them are changing. And if we uh, can take this time where uh, at the time that this show is being recorded, we're still kind of in the midst of the pandemic and partial shutdowns and, and people working from home and uh, you know, trying to figure out if their kids are going to be going back to school and how they're going to manage you know, Zoom calls and the like. So everything is changing. And I know you wrote this book uh, before all of this had happened. So uh, I am so excited excited about talking about this. But before we dive into the book, Blake, I would love for you to share your background personally. Uh, our folks love to hear backstories. So why don't you share your backstory with us? Well, thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here with your audience today. And I'm all about stories. So happy to share just the high level of who I am and where I came from. I've actually been studying customer experience for over 12 years. First, I fell into it when I moved to New York City and had a bit of a, a pivot with my own career. I thought I'd be working in magazine and that the print industry was dying. So I ended up producing conferences and the chairman of the company recruited me to create an online community for our conference division that was focused on something called customer management. And that was when it was just early days. Nobody was talking about customer relationship management, maybe like 10 people and then Zappos, uh, online shoe retailer. Right. And I have never stopped. Um, you and I were talking about blog, blog talk radio before we started our interview. I had a show in 2009 on blog talk radio about customer management, a podcast. And Fast forward, I met my super hunky husband and <laughs> left New York because I thought this guy, he, he, he checks all the boxes. He, he's fun, gorgeous. He's in my, we actually met at a CRM conference on customer management. So. Oh, how funny. Yeah. So I moved to San Francisco and um, had, for about three years, I really struggled, got fired and laid off from like a bunch of different startups and nothing was working out. And then I ended up working at a Fortune 100 company as a customer service practitioner. 
And I realized that I didn't like corporate, the corporate world, but I was really passionate about telling stories about this new and exciting and growing field of customer experience. And so for the last five years or so, I've been sharing my message all over the world that if you treat people well, if you make customers' lives easier and better, they will come back. And I do that through speaking engagements, through my own podcast called The Modern Customer, and now with COVID, just doing tons of um, webinars. And aside from that, I actually just had a baby two months ago. Wow. Oh, so, yeah, I had a baby in the pandemic. So if you ever wanted to know about that, I can tell you all <laughs> about wearing a mask at, in, and being in labor. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. And I have a four-year-old um, and grandma's here with us for the summer in California. So, so we have a very busy life. And my husband and I have started a podcast show this year called the Be Your Own Boss podcast where we teach people how to do what we've done, which is work for yourself. So that's, that's the short story. Can you imagine the long story? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. And uh, again, congratulations. And I'm assuming you're, you're still in a little bit of that sleepless uh, phase. <laughs> You know, this morning, my son, who's two months, he slept through the night and I, I literally congratulated him when we woke up. I said, <laughs> you did it. Good job. But I think I was talking about myself. I was like, hey, Blake, you slept through the night. <laughs> I feel amazing this morning. <laughs> well, that is funny. And it's so funny because I started this show in 2009 on Blog Talk Radio, which is oh, why wow. I still say I still <laughs> say today that I'm a radio show host because I don't, you know, podcasting that term didn't even become vogue until much later. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I'm I'm much older than you are, but uh you know, it just, let me tell you, let me tell you, I had to stop the show. Oh, I stopped the show. Cause it was, a, it wasn't really mine. It was for a company. And then I had to change my name when I got married. So I lost all that SEO from my maiden name. <laughs> so oh. I had to start all over. <laughs> well, I would think with a name like Blake though, uh, you know, you, you would still have people finding you. Uh, certainly that's been my experience with a name like Chicky. Yes. It, yes. it didn't matter when I got married, right? Everybody who yes. knew me, it was clear whether I was Chicky Wright or Chicky Fitzgerald. But uh, let's, let's shift into talking a little bit uh, about the book. And I'm always interested in the story of how you came to write the book. And, and you had written another book, and I love the title, uh, More is More. And, you know, we always hear about less being more. And, and so you had written that book. And what, what got you to the place where you said, you know what, this is the message I need to write about? More is more really set out to simply define customer experience. And when I say more is more, that means simply more effort, <clears throat> more thoughtfulness put into how we make customers feel. It was more of a basic book, not to knock it, but it was more, here's what customer experience is. Here's who's doing it well. A few years later, I realized that the world still needed good strategies for customer experience methods. And originally I had secured a book deal on a topic of technology because I felt that that's what the world wanted to hear from me because I was being asked to teach about it at Rutgers in New Jersey to write about technology for the Harvard Business Review. But I realized that companies need more guidance than simply here's advanced technology. They need more uh, strategies on how to build human experiences 
how to be thoughtful. And that's why I wrote the customer of the future. And the book can be broken down into three areas, which are the psychological strategies for customer experience. That includes culture, mindset, leadership development. The second theme is the technical theme. So first you have psychological, second you have technical. And that that is digital transformation, which is right. huge right now in the age of COVID. And um, that is AI, personalization, data, um, data ethics. And then third, you have experiential strategies. So that's more like experience design, communication, and marketing. And so when I speak about the book, I break it down into these three overarching themes, psychological, technical, and experiential customer experience strategies. And I'm really proud of the book. I feel like the first book, I was sort of getting my footing. And then, of course, you live and learn. The second book, I had a better publisher. I felt like the content is better. And it was actually chosen by Business Insider as the top 20 books executives are reading right now to deal with COVID, which I was also really proud of because I feel like I'm helping businesses right now who are, are struggling. Oh, that is so great. So uh, you, you launch into this book actually talking about the customer experience mindset and explain to us uh, why it needs to be a mindset and not just a list of things to do. We know that some companies do customer experience really, really well. These are the companies that make our lives easier and better, like Amazon, like Netflix, Apple products. Um, Spotify Music. These are companies that are extremely thoughtful in designing experiences. They're experiences that the people designing them would themselves want to have. And so mindset, a lot of what I talk about in the book are actually free strategies that businesses simply miss. They miss the fact that when you wake up in the morning, you should be excited to come to work to serve the customer, just like Jeff Bezos, because there's no way that that guy doesn't jump out of bed in the morning excited to serve somebody. Right. And that is a contagious feeling that trickles down from the executive leadership team down to the middle management, down to employees. But where a lot of companies misstep is they don't set metrics to reflect this customer mindset. And in our own jobs, we all work toward goals. Like that could be sales. That could be how many, um, that could be customer satisfaction. And if the metrics or the performance indicators are not linked to how we make customers feel, if it's not in the culture, if the CEO only talks about sales, if executives only talk about short-term profits, you can bet that there's not going to be a focus on customer experience which can be um, less immediate as far as instant gratification because right. your numbers like Amazon was not profitable for years before it started turning a profit. Even Uber, same story. So now there are actually studies and I write about this in the book that show that what makes you a valuable company, it's not what it used to be. It's not simply short-term profits, um, but these you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time, such as Amazon is. Hmm, interesting. Well, one of the things, and I'm by day, I'm a tech CEO. So uh, the, oh. the radio show is kind of an adjunct to what I do. And, and we have some game changing technology for organizations to make them more 
customer friendly, particularly when they, uh, when their company is part of a face-to-face experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if I am a museum, my world doesn't just start when you show up at the front door with your ticket or to buy a ticket, right? It's getting there. And so we're the getting there piece of that, right? The, the find the hotel nearby and, and all of that, right? And one of the hardest things for us is for uh, us to convince people that they haven't broadened that circle of customer experience far enough that, again, they expect people to magically land at their front door, but don't think about, and especially now, how do you get more people to your front door, right? How do you get, how do you broaden the geography that you market and, you know, which might entail you used to market to locals and now you want to market from neighboring states, right? So, uh, I think the interesting thing to me about what you just said about getting to that customer mindset, I mean, it obviously has to start somewhere, right? And hopefully it's starting with customer-focused leadership. But you talk about the importance of building a customer-centric culture, right? It has to be baked into everything, including those metrics. So I'm going to take these next two topics and kind of flip them a little bit, because again, I think that you have to have a leadership team that is really vested in this as an orientation before you can then bake it into your culture. So talk to us a little bit about how those two things play together. Um. And when you say flip these two topics, which two Well, I mean flip them because in the order that you address them in the book is you talk about cus- customer-centric culture before you talk about leadership. And, and I think that if your leadership isn't customer-focused, you got to get them customer-focused. So how do you develop customer-focused leadership? And then how do you build the customer culture? Okay, absolutely. So what I've noticed is that the companies that don't leave the culture up to chance, they are developing leaders through operationalizing leadership development. So they bring great people in and then they develop and train them and onboard these leaders into the company's mindset, into the company's culture and way of doing business, into their mission and values. They don't, great companies don't leave it up to chance. They don't hire somebody from, let's say that it's Amazon hiring. Amazon won't just hire someone from Netflix and just say, turn us into Netflix, do what you did there. They would train the executive from Netflix into the Amazon way of life and the way of doing business. So operationalizing leadership development to ensure that you have customer focused leaders that are onboarded, oriented, this is the way that great companies sustain that customer focused culture. They don't leave it up to chance. It's a hardcore part of their operations, of their training. And that's how some of the best companies I've seen have been really successful. And I've seen it firsthand. I went up to Amazon and stayed with them for a few days to meet with people, go into the factory floors, the shipping departments. I met with HR executives. And I saw exactly firsthand how they do this, how they operationalize leadership development. And it's quite compelling. Mm, I love hearing that. So obviously, once you have brought the right team together and you've, you've 
built the culture and put the metrics in, in place. The next thing is designing this zero friction customer experience. And again, I would encourage our listeners that have something where people do come face to face to expand your thinking from this, they magically show up at your door, right? Or at your event or whatever it is that, that you're doing. So what are the basics of, of doing that design? Do you involve the frontline? Do you do it just as a leadership team? What's your recommendation? Yeah, I would say that the training has to start from the top with your leaders where they're brought in and there's a certain curriculum and then you train the managers and all the metrics are aligned with that. One of the issues in my industry, in the contact center industry, which often owns customer experience, whether we like it or not, is it's still seen as a cost center and it's seen as owned by one person or one team. And I've even heard in call centers, um, they, they're really run by metrics and they're cost centers. So they'll even measure how long an agent takes to have a break to use the restroom right. because it's really a butts and seats mentality. And that's not the way the best companies do customer experience. It's not owned by one person. Like when I went to Amazon, I asked a senior VP there, who owns customer experience here? Do you have a customer experience officer? And the guy looked at me and said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he made me repeat the question. And the reason is they don't have a chief customer officer. They don't even have a CMO, to be frank. It's really Jeff Bezos. So often in these compelling companies, the CEO is driving customer experience. They don't put lip service to customer experience by having one person that quote unquote owns it. It's really part of the culture, the fabric, everybody from the CIO to the CFO to a manager on the, um, in the shop floor or in the contact center, they all feel ownership over customer experience and they're empowered to do something about it. They have budgets. They're not held to crazy contact center metrics. Um, which if you're interested, I can tell you more about, but it's really just, it's across the company. Interesting. So the, the next topic you address is customer focused marketing. And, you know, lately I've been taking a, a lot of time to look at companies' websites. And uh, I'll just give you an example. My husband uh, sells waste equipment, right? You know, pretty, pretty unsexy, right? Um, but the the way that and he works for a small distributorship that represents multiple lines of business and they sell to multiple customer types but their website is entirely product centric right so they you know you can navigate to uh the sewer trucks or to the uh the garbage trucks etc um but it's not at all customer focused. I see the same things in, in hospital websites. Uh, so a hospital is busy trying to sell the person who's going to have the, the optional surgery, right? And, and they forget that one of the customers that they're serving is the family or friend uh, who gets the phone call that somebody's in the hospital and they just need to get there, right? And how do I get there? How do I get there easily and quickly? And in our world, it's, you know, where can I stay? And, and so the website 
is focused on one particular kind of customer. Another customer of a hospital website might be the person coming for an interview or trying to decide if they want to work there, right? So how do you take a traditional marketing organization who has just been, you know, essentially worried perhaps about branding and just getting people to visit uh, their website and how do you help them have this holistic view of marketing that really sees the whole customer? Right. And this is what I talk about in my book that most companies are product centric over being customer centric. Yes. And when I worked at a fortune 100 company in customer service as an executive, I saw this firsthand because we had our own language for our products that if you even join one of our meetings, you have no idea what we were talking about. We were extremely narcissistic, <laughs> never thinking about what the experience feels like from the outside. And this is right. a major misstep of companies that you're speaking to is that companies are often product centric over being customer centric. They don't build or design experiences with the customer in mind. And hospitals are extremely guilty of this because they haven't had to be in the past where, um, and I've actually had a, done a few webinars on this um, this year with some of the major issues in healthcare or even the way hospitals hoard data. And I believe there's a new um, federal law coming into to play where uh, hospitals are no longer allowed to hoard data. They have to share patient data with the patient. The reason they hoard data and they make it really hard for you to find your past um, medical record, like if you switch healthcare providers, right. is they, they're competing. They're competing, yes. it's about money. They're definitely not patient-centric. Um, and the idea of operational efficiency is something hospitals focus on. So moving as many people as possible through the same experience, nothing is personalized. Everything makes the, the customer work extremely hard to get anything yes. achieved. Like I have to take my son, my two month old to his checkup today. And I know that I'm probably going to sit in the waiting room for up to 40 minutes with my newborn, just waiting for that 10 minutes where I get the pediatrician to come in. And, you know, I'm, I'm at their mercy. They're not yes. at my mercy, but now we're seeing more startups. We're seeing um, disruption to healthcare. We're seeing the um, consumerization of healthcare with products outside of healthcare, like Apple watches and startups that help patients monitor their diabetes. So I think people are sick of it and we're going to see a power shift from these major huge healthcare systems to startups, to innovation, new companies that are just making it easier for patients to get things achieved like companies such as One Medical, where it's, it's more like going to Starbucks than it is going for a checkup. Interesting. So let's talk about the impact of technology. So you talk about both customer experience technology and then the digital transformation of organizations. Now, one would think that in 2020, we are way past the digital transformation discussion, but obviously we're not, right? And you talked about how COVID has actually accelerated that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, most companies are not finished with digital transformation. They have really struggled in the last six months to scurry to create experiences that are COVID centric. Um, and in the book, I break it down into 12 areas, which I'm not going to go into right now, but digital transformation in its most simplistic definition is solving traditional problem 
with technology. So that can be applied to the efficiencies inside of your company as it relates to employee experience. But today it absolutely, um, it absolutely is related to how easy it is for customers to do business. Many companies, many customers today want companies that offer curbside pickup, that offer online ordering, um, contactless payments, and the, t the modern customer today is fragile, is anxious, is nervous, is watching their pennies. And so the modern customer needs, the modern company needs to think about how technology takes care of that fragile customer and how the modern company is solving traditional problems with technology. These companies must move faster. And digital transformation, while a company often will go through like a three to seven year period of a transformation, the, the truth is they're never really finished because technology right. continues to evolve and innovation continues to evolve and companies are never done figuring out better ways to make customers' lives easier and better as well as the mechanics of how they run their business. Right, right. So who has done it really well? I mean, you talked on the customer experience mindset side uh, about Amazon. Who, who has done digital transformation in a way uh, that is uh, a model for what companies should look at? I think Target has done a really great job. And what they've done is they've applied technology to their operations. And they started a really long time ago because before uh, 2004, actually Amazon ran their website. And at a certain point in 2011, they saw the writing on the wall and they thought, wow, you know, I don't think Amazon should be running our website anymore. Good thing they <laughs> took it back because they compete with Amazon. Right. And um, what they did is they looked at a few different areas. One was what I mentioned, operational efficiency. So logistics. So how do they get customers' products faster? They started offering curbside pickup which has been a huge, huge trend right now as customers don't right. want to go into Target. And I live across from a Target and I see that they're implementing social distancing. I think it's much harder to go into the store than it is to use these digital services. Right. Um, and they also focused much more on the website and on digital sales. And they've had huge success in the last few years, Target. Um, there's also this interesting race right now to meet the digital customer and you're seeing it with grocery. So Target is competing with Walmart, with Amazon in the grocery business, um, with Instacart. And it's exciting to see this race toward innovation and who can make customers' lives easier and better <laughs> faster. But we're also on the other side, looking at companies that have always done digital well. And these are the companies that are thriving um, today, like companies such as Netflix, Spotify, um, even Comcast is doing really well as people need internet and TV services. Right. Peloton bikes, companies that offer digital, a mix of, of digital, but you know, they're also selling you the bike. Um, they're focusing on data, on analytics, Peloton, and they're growing um, really rapidly right now during COVID. So the common oh, theme through everything is companies that have embraced digital to focus on efficiency and make customers' lives easier and better. Right. And you mentioned Netflix and Spotify. So uh, that kind of leads us into uh, the last grouping uh, that you described uh, at the beginning of the show. 
that includes personalization and, and looking at your analytics to see uh, the power that can be extracted from that data. And then uh, I, I know we don't have a lot of time left to talk about ethics and data privacy, but I just want to let our listeners know that the book goes into a tremendous amount of depth on, on each of these topics. So why don't we just touch very quickly on, on the personalization and analytics uh, side of things in, in the last five or so minutes that we have left. Right. So most companies we interact with, there's very little personalization. Maybe they'll send us a note with our name on it, but considering the technology that companies have access to technology we've had for years, like text messaging, um, personalization should be so much better than it is. Yes. And studies show that in the age of COVID actually customers are happy to text with a company. But companies simply haven't figured out how to create these one-to-one experiences, even though the technology is out there to do so. And customers crave personalized interactions because they're getting it from some companies like, of course, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify. These are companies that use machine learning and artificial intelligence to create experiences that are catered to that one individual customer. And analytics are a really critical part of a good data management program. In the book, I write about Caesar's Palace, where Las Vegas is having this challenge right now where, well, even pre-COVID, where they can't get young people to Las Vegas because millennials (laughs) don't gamble. Exactly. And I have to tell you, I just have to interject here. My company built LasVegas.com. So I I know the Las Vegas market really well. And that that was true, uh, you know, 15 years ago uh, when we launched that platform. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. Well, I'm in Las Vegas a lot for work because that's where all the business conferences are. And I like Las Vegas, but the point is that I don't gamble either, but I would go to a show. My husband um, loves magic. So we went to see the Penn and Teller show. Um, I love good food. I would be happy to go to a Michelin star restaurant or um, see stand-up comedy like Jerry Seinfeld had a recording show, but I don't gamble. So Caesar's Palace knows that. And what Caesar's has done, Caesar's Entertainment, is they've created a really powerful data management program. And when you walk into Caesars, they have a loyalty program where they're instantly sending you targeted messages. Like for me, it would be Blake, Jerry Seinfeld's performing at Caesars tonight and I would book that. Or here's some loyalty points to go eat at this Michelin star restaurant. I would do that. Um, And this data and analytics program is actually worth $1 billion. That's no (laughs) joke. And so as trends change, Um, areas and companies in Las Vegas need to focus more on analytics to engage that individual customer to provide uh, promotions that are actually relevant to the individual. Gone are the days of mass marketing or just throwing something at the wall and hoping it sticks. Well, the interesting thing about uh, that program at Caesars is the guy who's the SVP of consumer marketing 
was the president of my first startup. And he came uh, from deep within the travel industry. And, and before he was at Caesars, he was at one of the major cruise lines. And when I hired him, he was the head of travel at AOL. So I, I think it's very interesting to take a look at, at how he personally has been able to influence that at Caesars. And I hadn't really thought about it because I, I don't go to Las Vegas frequently. Uh, but I'm not at all surprised that, uh, that they have glommed onto that because I also know he cares a great deal about those customer experience analytics. And I'm quite certain that their decisions are well informed by uh, the data that they do extract. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, we, we don't really have time to talk about the ethics and data privacy, but that is so, so important. So uh, I do encourage those of you who have been listening. Uh, again, we have been talking uh, to Blake Morgan, and she is the author of the book, The Customer of the Future, 10 Guiding Principles for Winning Tomorrow's Business. Uh, Blake, I know you said that you do, uh, uh, well, pre-COVID, you did a lot of public speaking, and I'm sure once people do start having in-person events again, uh, you'll be back on stage. But uh, in the interim, uh, how can they best follow you to find out where you might be speaking? Actually, I am doing a lot of virtual keynote speeches right now um, and internal speeches for companies on how to deal with the digital customer in the age of COVID. I'm doing like at least one a week. So probably on Twitter, this is where I'm announcing, or you can sign up for my newsletter. So my website is just my name, really easy to remember, blakemichellemorgan.com. And you can learn about the podcast I have. If you also want to be your own boss and you want to do what me and Chicky do, <laughs> www.beyourownbosspodcast.com. And I would love to connect with your listeners. And I want to thank you for um, having me on your show, Chicky. Oh, thank you so much. And, and by the way, I love your logo on, on your Blake Morgan site. It's a, it's a cute little graphic of a, a, a woman uh, driving a, an airplane, piloting yes. an airplane. We're all about flight. Yeah. And I flight. just love that. So again, do check out Blake Michelle Morgan and uh, Blake, we will be inviting you to the Game Changer uh, Network platform, which is a, a private by invitation only network, not only for the authors that we interview, but for people who really want to be game changers so that they can interact uh, directly with the folks that we have on the show. Uh, I believe community is another uh, really super important piece of this puzzle that hasn't gotten enough attention. Uh, you know, in, in addressing how to address your customers and your, your raving fans. So thank you so, so much for your time. I know you've got a scoot. Uh, again, congratulations on the new baby and uh, just look forward to following you and, and hearing you speak. Thank you so much, Chicky. I really love your questions and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Wonderful. Terrific. All right. That was fabulous. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, let me know if I can help promote it. Just send it over my way. Oh, ab absolutely. You'll get an email <laughs> from me uh, with, with everything that you need to know about that. All right. Well, you have a great weekend and take care out there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay.